We'd like to thank our friends at Sleep Number for sponsoring the Thrive Global Podcast. Sleep Number is changing the way we sleep with their latest beds, the Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds. They automatically adjust on each side to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast on iHeartRadio. My guest today is a singer, a songwriter, a producer, an actor, an activist, a philanthropist, a visionary. He's best known as the leading force of the group The Black Eyed Peas, but that seems a long time ago compared to what he has been doing since that we are going to talk about. I'm so glad you're here with us. And uh, I remember going back in our relationship to 10 years ago, when um, we were together at a panel that the Huffington Post was putting on. And you said a lot of wise things then, but you said one which I kept repeating in speech after speech for, I think, seven years, which was how the way we consume news had changed. And you said we used to consume news sitting on a couch, and now we consume news galloping on a horse, and we share it. And we consume it faster and faster. And that was 2008. And it was a very prophetic statement because things have gotten infinitely faster since then. Yeah. So now that I think about that, galloping on the horse was the right metaphor because I could have said in a car. But the car happened in 2012, you know, a couple of years after the iPhone came out. Because if you think about 2008, The iPhone just had come out, and there weren't apps on it. It was just an iPhone with the applications that Apple put out. The jailbreak community didn't happen. Um, Twitter was just new, but you consume Twitter on uh, sometimes a BlackBerry or more on online from a laptop and a desktop. So 2012 was the car. 2018, we were on a freaking spaceship. You're consuming information at the speeds of space travel, like for a rover to get from here to Mars. That is the speed at which people are consuming information, disposing of it, gone a day, here today, gone a day. There's no absorbing. The platforms are meant to comment, like, but not understand. There is no understanding on the platforms yet. You know, so there, and there's so much information being thrown from shallow to depth that it's hard to keep up to know what's real and what's fake. You have, you know, misinformation being thrown and bombarding you at the same time as true information. And it's all being done systematically to confuse. Double speak is the new language. It's crazy. It's noisy. So what's the solution? The solution is to research more than ever. Don't dispose of. Take a deep breath. Be empathetic. Love. And when you absorb misinformation or true information, when you're coming from love and empathy, whether it's miss or truth, you're going to have a different perspective, a calmer, more understanding patience, tolerance. When you have it the other way around where you're impatient, not tolerant, no empathy, no love, 
the misinformation and truth information is going to be handled the same way. And that is going to create hate, skepticism, cynicism, division, separation, which is the same thing, like inhumane approaches to problems. You know, so I don't think it's fake news versus real news. I think it's just no love. That's it's interesting the, that's the because problem. I was just reading for a piece I wrote, Martin Luther King's letter from jail, from the Birmingham jail. And in it, he said, we are going to be extremists. But the question is, are we going to be extremists for hate or extremists for love? And this seems to be like the question of our times. And uh, you're at the center of this whole conversation in so many different ways. But before we come to the present, I'd like us to go back to the past and to the beginnings and to how it all started for you. Because your life story is so central and directly tied to everything you're doing now. So let's start with the neighborhood you grew up. We are here in Hollywood in this amazing space you've created that you call the future mm. and and you really walk in and it embraces you and it inspires you uh, but what was it like in the neighborhood where your life began so the neighborhood was similar so you walk in if you're from the neighborhood it embraces you and it inspires you um, because it was a village i grew up in an all-mexican neighborhood there were a few black families there but we were the the ones everyone knew. The Canes. Hey, you're Donnie Kane's nephew? Yeah. You Lynn Kane's nephew? Yeah. The Canes. Because my uncle played football for the Falcons and the Rams. My other uncle played baseball for the Oakland Athletics. And so we were we were taken care of in a very, very dangerous neighborhood. And the Canes was the family name. Yeah, Canes. Lynn Kane was the hero. Went to the local high school, then went to East LA College, then went to USC, then went to play for the Falcons, and then play for the LA Rams. Lynn Kane. And so how did you come by your name? So my name is William. <laughs> that was your given name. Yeah, William. William. I'm just the most plain, typical, <laughs> basic Noble, name. Prince William. Yeah, but it's pretty like William. You know, so if, if somebody calls me William, I know them. They, they has to be from jun- elementary and junior high school. Hey, William. <laughs> William. My mom calls me Willie. My family calls me Willie. My neighborhood, hey, Willie. Willie. My friends call me Will. People that I've known through work and just in my travels, they call me Will. But my stage name is, and now just my name, um, because my last name, I don't, I don't know my dad, so I don't want to take... My my name is William Adams, but out of the Canes, there's nobody Adams. So I kind of felt like, well, my uncle's name is Lynn Kane, and my mom's name is Deborah Kane, and everybody's Canes. But I'm William Adams, and I never met my dad. Like, why do I have this name to somebody that I don't know, that I don't care to know, because my mom is my mom and my dad, the strongest thing on the planet, my mom, having had four of her own and adopted four others, a single parent superstar, super rock. But I have this last name, Adams. So I was like, you know what? My name is a sentence. But I'm not going to spell it Adams, A-D-A-M-S. I'm going to spell it Atoms. 
Because will, I am atoms. All I am is just my atoms, my particles, and this mind that I have to vision new realities. So to vision new realities and manifest them, you have to be strong with will, the will to. Mm -hmm. And so that will to, I am will. I am the ability to dream and manifest. And my last name is Adams, and that's just the vehicle that I am in at the moment. So will I am Atoms. Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor, Sleep Number. Because sleep makes the difference for a thriving mind, body, and soul. Today's sleep tip is to nap wisely. Research shows how naps strengthen some of our key cognitive functions, including memory. For example, researchers at a German university found that naps can lead to a five-fold improvement in information retrieval from memory. And according to David Randall, the author of Dreamland, even a short nap primes our brains to function at a higher level, letting us come up with better ideas, find solutions to puzzles more quickly, identify patterns faster, and recall information more accurately. So there is such a thing as a power nap. This sleep tip was brought to you by Sleep Number, the bed that knows you, senses you, and adjusts to you. Only at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. And William Adams has had quite a journey. And as you said, your mother has been at the heart of it. It started with the education she chose for you. Why was that such an important decision? So at the time, I didn't know what the journey was for. Why am I being bussed out? from the ghetto to Brentwood and Palisades at seven years old. I mean, a seven-year-old isn't thinking like what the big idea is. I'm just hopping on a bus two hours to and from school. And then it's, you know, once you realize like, hey, I'm going to a science magnet school and now I'm 12, I'm in the sixth grade and things are starting to Makes sense when I see what the kids do in my neighborhood versus what I'm doing in Brentwood Palisades. And mind you, my family doesn't have a car. There's fire drills and earthquake drills in California where earthquakes are like pretty normal. And, you know, it dawned on me like, how are you going to come pick me up, Ma? We don't have a car. I remember I came home from school after an earthquake drill. I was like, I was in the seventh grade. Like, Ma, if there's an earthquake, how are you going to pick me up and you don't have a car? She's like, boy, what are the odds of an earthquake happening in L.A.? Now, what are the odds of a drive-by happening or somebody bringing a gun to school in the hood? I think the odds of you going to Brentwood risking an earthquake without me being able to pick you up is far less than you getting shot, addicted mm-hmm. to drugs, selling drugs in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, she was right, because there was no earthquakes in the 12 years of me going <laughs> to and from East L.A. to Palisades and Brentwood. What amazing wisdom, because she also refused to put you on Ritalin when you were diagnosed with um, ADHD. Yeah. So there was like, I think something happened in the 80s where financial cuts for schools, teachers having to force the same type of teaching protocols to every single student. You know, maybe the teachers weren't the best because of unions and the whole mission for teaching probably wasn't to ensure that there were, 
you know, every kid was graduating. There was more protection over the teachers than there were the kids and the results. And with hyperactivity and sugar in our, you know, the FDA a little loose on what they're able to give to kids, cereals, sugars, everyone's freaking hyper and strung out on this drug called sugar, especially in the hood. Value pack meals that probably aren't the healthiest for the kids. Hormones, because now we, we have new ways of like, you know, what scale is, what success is. America's now addicted to just selling stuff, regardless if it's healthy for the community. I remember getting a value pack. I remember like, I'll take a number two. That's food. That wasn't my mom's generation. My mom's generation was not, I'll take a number four. <laughs> right? Fast food was like 80s. And 80s, if you, uh, I don't know the research. I'm just trying to you know, pattern match. If you take the growth of fast food to the growth of ADHD kids mm-hmm. and attention disorders, I'm pretty sure you'll find that the spike happens around the same time. A real connection. Right. Has to, have, has to be a coincidence that like crazy glucose, crazy freaking like fake sugars and candy galore, especially in the hood, corresponds to ADHD. And I remember like... My, some kids are like just zombied out. Like they used to be super hyper and then like super zombied out. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't want to see me zombied out. And our Medi-Cal didn't qualify for Ritalin, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so if you really think about it, like I don't think we could have afforded it. <laughs> Which I'm glad. Thank, thank the Lord. It's funny because um, I feel a real kinship to your mom because I made the same decision at my younger daughter's school when she was diagnosed with ADHD and they wanted to put her on Ritalin and I said no and I remember I was seen as an irresponsible parent but I said no we'll just do it another way. Yeah so I saw this documentary about ADHD and uh, Ritalin and the naming of it and uh, the this FDA crisis we have in America, the Food and Drug Administration. You know, who's wagging who? I mean, what's wagging what? Is it the drugs that are important or good, you know, nutritional food that's important? Because it seems as if, like, the same organization is responsible for the condition of America that contradicts itself. Like, Drugs and nutrition (laughs) should not be governed by the same entity because one has more funding than the other and one is not about nutrition and wellness. So to me, I'm not saying the FDA is, you know, I'm not against it. I'm just saying like we do have the leading obesity in the world. We do have some of the most diabetics in the world we do have the most addicted to pharmaceutical drugs drug crimes and people in prison because of petty drug crimes it seems a bit off actually if you think about it well and you talked about how you there is a way to manage 
what's happening with your chemicals without chemicals. And you... Yeah, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Wright, told me that. Oh, amazing. So that's the one thing about, like, there was this teacher named Mr. Wright, John Wright, sixth grade. At fourth grade, he was our anatomy teacher. And then he went from anatomy. So, so Brentwood was an amazing school, still is. They taught us oceanography with Miss Smolin. Mr. Lipwalk was the advanced uh, gate teacher. Mr. Schneider was our physics. We had Mr. Wright, who was anatomy. And Mr. Cowan, I think, was our computer class guy, because we in 1980-something, um, Steve Jobs and Apple provided Apple IIcs for a couple of schools. We were one of those schools. And then in sixth grade, Mr. Wright became our teacher. And that's when D.A.R.E., the Reagans had D.A.R.E., D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs. So Mr. Wright comes to us and says, they want me to tell you guys to say no to drugs, which you should. But if I could teach you how to meditate, you could get high off your own thoughts. Wow. In the because 80s. they're just that chemicals. Still, are we still in the 80s or are we in the 90s now? This is in the 80s. So then he comes home. One of the kids goes home and says, Mr. Wright's going to teach us how to get high and meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy, Mr. Wright, changed my life. He's like, William, you're really curious. I think it was Mr. Wright and my mom when Mr. Wright said, don't put him on Ritalin. Ritalin. He's hyper, yes, but he's curious. And um, he was like, William, make sure that you write your dreams down. If you have a dream, write it down. And you'll, when, you, when, when you do that and you mash that, you'll be able to think a lot clearer in the world. If you could pay attention to your dreams and write them down. And then when you do that, try to pay attention to your dreams while you're in your dream. I was like, what, Mr. Wright? <laughs> so I would hang out with Mr. Wright. Like I would go visit him after I graduated high school just to ask him questions. Like, what were you teaching us in the sixth grade? He was like, you know, I was so happy to have you guys as sixth graders because your chemicals hadn't changed yet. You were still in that stage where, where your mind has not been affected by just natural chemicals that happen with puberty. It was an amazing class. I remember most of my classmates, Sharona, Neely Escalante, Cal, Locke, Adam Slutsky. I remember these guys. If I close my eyes, I remember all of these kids. Orville, Jackie. Remember all of these kids, like if it was yesterday. And how many black kids were in the classroom? Orville, Jackie, Cal uh, Copeland, myself. Cal was, uh, Cal was, Locke was Korean. Sharona was Persian. Neil Escalante was Mexican or Latin. But I remember so these. So it was a mixed class. Really. Yeah, and Adam Slutsky. Adam Slutsky, I'd, we text every once in a while. So you still do. What happened to Mr. Wright? Mr. Wright stopped teaching. But I remember, like, I remember all these teachers. Miss Walker was my first grade teacher. Miss Holland was my second. There's a girl by the name of Tammy Brooks. Tammy Brooks is like an agent here in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, she's DJ Khaled's manager. Yeah. I know her. I I've known her. Tammy Brooks since I was in the second grade, first no, grade. No, I love her. She's, I was with her last week. Tammy Brooks. That's how long I've known her. We've known each other since the second grade, through junior high school, through high school, through club life. Remember when she had her baby? Tammy Brooks. That's Miss amazing. Holland. Miss Holland. We were, we were in Miss <laughs> Holland's class together. 
She was cross-eyed. And, and she was the cutest, and her mom was nice. She used to bring cupcakes to school. Like, William is just such a cutie. I'm like, I lived all the way in East L.A. And I knew Tammy Brooks' mom since the second grade. So third grade was Miss Taylor. Fourth grade was Miss Rich. Fifth grade was Miss Fox. Sixth grade was Mr. Wright. So all that happened in Brentwood somehow led you first to your musical career and then to where you are now. How do you see the connection? So Run DMC just came out. He was the rap group in the 80s. And I remember I was on the lunch benches and I was rapping on the tables like... <laughs> and everybody had swatch watches. And I was too poor to have a swatch watch. So my mom bought me an A-watch. And everybody was like, that's not a swatch watch, Will, William. And everybody had the mechanical pencils <laughs> and the trapper keeper folders. And I didn't have that. I had a regular number two pencil because we couldn't afford that. Everybody had all the things a kid was supposed to have in elementary, but I had thrift store stuff or knockoff brands. Everyone had Nikes. I had Stadia. Stadia was like Payless shoes. And they made fun of me because I had knockoff brands. So one day I came to school, I was like, my A watch is black and white. And if you don't like it, we're going to have to fight. I'm going to step on your toes, punch you in your nose. And I don't care if your big toe grows to the size of my A watch. Homeboy, tell me, tell me how you like them socks. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, my A watch is fresh. I was like, I had to have been like nine years old because everyone had swatch watches. And I was being made fun of because I had an A watch. So you started rapping. So I started rapping about my freaking like watch. I, I remember the rap. It was black and white. Ma, a watch <laughs> is black and white. And if you don't like it, we're going to have to fight. I'm going to step on your toes, punch you in your nose. And I don't care if your big toe grows to the size of my a watch. Homeboy, tell me, tell me how you like them socks. Right? Because that was like, <laughs> ma, Adidas, walk through project doors and roam all over costume floors. Got, right? I was like, I copied Run DMC. The cadence verbatim. But instead of talking about Adidas, I talked about a bootleg watch mm. that people were making fun of. And my mind is if Run DMC could talk about Adidas and make everybody want Adidas, then I'm going to talk about my A watch. You guys got everybody's watch. I got that special watch. Yeah, it's not a swatch. It's an A watch, please. That was my whole freaking like mentality at nine years old. I was nine and then from that, I was cool in school. Hey, William, you could rap. It's like, yeah, I could rap. I am the unknown MC. I bet you party people never even heard of me. Because my first record, Burley, came out. I make it party people just scream and shout. Make it jump up and down in your seat. I don't even need a stupid beat to say my rhyme. I say it without one. Watch your back because I shoot you with a shotgun. Not a gangster, not a gangbanger. Watch out for what you're because I'm not a stranger. Because when I rap, I am well known. I don't even need a stupid microphone to say my rhyme. Because that is true. With this class and that's a job, but it's coming to you because I'm fresh. Ten. No. It was ten. I remember that like it was yesterday. Then my rap's on the radio, radio moving. So I come to school, it's show and tell, and you're supposed to bring them like something to show and tell, like a project. So my sister got Teddy Ruxpin for Christmas and Barbie and a Rockers cassette. And my mom got a two-deck cassette player with headphones. And I got like um, a keyboard. My brother got a, a football helmet. And I remember this Christmas, I think I was... 12, was in the sixth grade, Mr. Wright. 
I took my sister's Teddy Ruxpin doll. And I, my show and tell was, I'm going to make Teddy Ruxpin rap. Because you could put the tape in and Teddy Ruxpin would read, you know, whatever that's in the tape. And his mouth would move. So I was like, what if I record on the tape and then bring it to school and Teddy Ruxpin could do the rap? So I took my sister's Barbie and a Rocker cassette, put it in this one, and then got the headphones, put it in the microphone. I don't know what told me to do this. Instead of putting it in the headphone jack, I put it in the microphone jack. Then took my headphone and wrapped in the thing. I used the headphone as a microphone, and I was like, my rap's on the radio. Radio moving loud. I may be young, but I move the crowd. I'm 13, and I know that I rock it. Didn't I tell you leave Will Chill alone? Knock it. He's Will. I'm fly. That's who we go by. C-H-I-L-N-F-L-Y. That's my name, so don't wear out. I make it party. People just scream and shout. This is Will coming to you live. You could run, but there's no place to hide. I'm like Predator. I'll catch you in a minute. Don't kill the noise because we ain't yet finished. This is Will coming from the rapper zone. If you get bad, I crown you with the microphone. You may think of me, but if you don't believe me, you could even ask my whole posse as you enter once you all get retarded and as you do that we're going to get it started <laughs> while you're dancing no gum food to candy because in the bar they're serving brandy and so then i put it in the freaking teddy ruxpin press play and boom i made teddy ruxpin rap and i was freaking 13 years old about to graduate sixth grade was everybody amazed no wait i was 12 no i was 13 whatever age it was i was young <laughs> and and I think that's the reason why like Mr. Wright was like he's creative. Who comes to school with a Teddy Ruspin making it rap? Like I don't know. I was always just trying to hack stuff. And I hacked into Teddy Ruxpin back in the day and made Teddy Ruxpin bus raps. And then what was the breakthrough? The breakthrough was like that's what kept me cool in school. We were poor. Had I not been creative, yes. they would have made fun of the fact that I dressed whack. I didn't, didn't have, have like, a swatch watch. Had thrift store clothes, secondhand stuff. Sometimes my brother's baggy jacket or messed up shoes. But because I was creative, they were like, oh, William's cool. And then I realized that that was my currency. My currency was my creativity. And then I was being encouraged by people like Tammy Brooks. Like, William, you're so talented. Tammy Brooks was my friend. She was a cheerleader. Now we were in junior high school. And then she's a cheerleader. And everybody knew Tammy Brooks. And me and Tammy Brooks were friends since second grade. So second grade, junior high school, high school, we were the most popular people in school. Tammy, because she was naturally pretty and popular, well-off, cheerleader. Me, because I was bussed in from East L.A., but creative and really close friends with Tammy Brooks because we've known each other since the second grade. And going to Hollywood clubs like Ballistics, there was this guy by the name of David Faustino. He played a character, Bud Bundy, from Married with Children. And he had an underage club. And so I used to go and freestyle rap there. People from Beverly Hills High School, University High School, Santa Monica High School, Palisades High School, Marshall High School. Everybody from the West Side went to ballistics at 15 years old. And I used to rap my ass off. And I got a record deal at 17. And I came home to the projects like, look, Ma, I got a record deal. She's like, boy, what is that? I was like, $10,000. She's like, who, who in the hell told you you could get a record deal? Give me that check. I was like, Mom, this is my check. Did I tell you you could go get a check? Mom, it's my record deal. Mm-mm, you get your record deal ass and do that homework. And so that, that was my big break. At 17, I had a contract signed with Eazy-E, Ruthless Records, right after Dr. Dre left. So Dr. Dre left, Ice Cube left, Eazy-E was looking for other talent in Los Angeles. 
And I was signed there from 92 to 1995. And then when he passed away, we started Black Eyed Peas summer of 1995. And we were just a band of a group of misfits, poets, musicians, dancers, rappers, artists, graffiti artists, cross demographic of like nationalities, ages. Um, and that we prided ourselves with like not smoking, not doing drugs. That lasted for like a year. Because <laughs> naturally, 18-year-olds are like, um, you know, 19-year-olds, they're all about that. I never really, I didn't dive into that. I was always afraid of what my mom would think. So I, I still don't, I don't do drugs. Never have. Yeah, so that was the start of our family of artists, poets, dancers. And we, we were all hands-on, write our own songs. And there are no limits in our dreams and our, our desire to manifest those dreams to reality. And did you keep dry, writing down your dreams? Yeah, actually. The puzzle dreams I write down. But I have vivid, vivid, like my dreams are like no different than how. There was one period of time, like I think when I was 18, where I didn't know the difference between them. They were that real. Hmm. Like my dreams were just as real as my reality. I could feel, I could smell, color, memories. For example, if I go to sleep now and I wake up, there's some type of like through line between when I went to sleep and when I woke up. And that's the difference between, for a lot of people, dreams and reality. Mm-hmm. When you go to sleep, you don't pick up where you left off. It's a whole new dream. Reality is the only thing that we experience that when we go to sleep, when we transfer to that subconscious world and you come back to reality, it starts where you left off. Life was actually happening. So my dreams, my dreams continue on like time, most of the time. And then it got so thick and so vivid that I didn't, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. And was there anything in your dreams that guided you at some point? to basically move from music to technology? Uh, no, the, the, the moving from music and technology, to me, for a lot of people, it's jarring. Like, oh my gosh, those, those worlds are so different from each other. When actuality, they're not. Technology is the foundation for music. The microphone, RCA, the tape machine, EMI, the camera, RCA, the transmission, RCA, the gramophone, Edison, which is now just our Grammy Award. So even the Grammy, people forgot that that's just a gramophone, which is technology. The radio, back if this was 1918, radio would be the internet. Mm-hmm. Just like we are consumed and surf the web every day. People were surfing on radio in 1918. That was the connective through-line tissue. And there was an industry built on that. That's the music industry. The royalties and how you get paid. The distribution from who had the manufacturing capabilities. And then distributing to places where they sold that. And the relationships between the record company, the manufacturing, the distribution, and the point of sale. And then the people that wrote articles on that product, which is Rolling Stone, where Rolling Stone 
is not only the publication, but it's also the group, right? So it's the, it's like having a group called Twitter. Yo, what's your name of your group? Twitter. <laughs> wait, wait a second. No, no, no. That's that's the platform. No, 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 no. That's my group. Imagine this is 1960. Be like, what's the name of your group, Mick? Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones? You mean the magazine? No, 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 no. We the Rolling Stones. That's Rolling Stone. Yo, I'm really fucking confused right now. That's equivalent. It's like, yo, what's the name of your book? Your group? Facebook. You mean Facebook? That's the platform. No, no, no. That's my group. Facebook. Right? So we can't. And now when we think of like musicians transferring in technology, we, that's because the record industry forgot in the 90s that they were technology. Mm-hmm. And because they forgot, they allowed other platforms to take that place. So Napster was the pointed the direction that record companies should have taken. But because they were so afraid of losing their footprint and the monstrosity that they sued instead of using their monstrosity to overdevelop and outdo the technology and own the platform itself. I, I learned that from the Sean Fannings of the world in 2000 when we were suing Silicon Valley, I befriended them. And the Ron Conways, the Sean Fannings, the Sean Parkers, um, the Larry Pages, I met early on in 2002, 3, 4. But you've actually said that in the next 20 years, the internet is going to be replaced by something that you called the mesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said that years ago. Which is amazing. Yeah, so I went from like that brainstorming think session came from like, okay, you have the World Wide Web, which was like the first peak of the what we now call the internet. So a web catches things, but not many things. So if you're a spider to cast a web, you're going to catch like you know a couple of things. And then the internet, the net is a different type of net. Like you cast it, you get... More things. But the net's not going to tell you the environment at which the fish are living in because the water seeps out, right? It's not the bucket because even buckets, you, you get the water and the fish, but then there's no filter and, you know, it's just separating the water and the fish. But the mesh, you get more stuff. You, you collect not only the fish, but a couple of other things that are floating in it. It's just data, so the mesh is data. Big companies like that are giving you something for free, they're in the internet and the web, but really it's a mesh of a whole bunch of different ways to aggregate data, make sense of what's going on in the world. And these companies have more information than governments, than religion ever had, than kings and kingdoms ever had queens ever had we 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 are we are in this 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 place where humanity's never been in before we've never been to this place and we need to all like you know be just a little mindful on what power is and what power isn't and you are optimistic yeah but you're also aware of um, the distractions that are being continuously invaded by information, notifications, uh, buzzing interruptions, 
the dangers of that in terms of being connected with ourselves and our humanity. So how do you see that in your own life? I don't use notifications. I turn them off. I want to go to my phone myself to see who's calling me or texting me or DMing me. I don't want to have to always answer to, it's, it's natty. It's like uh, it's becoming a nuisance. How do anybody live life that way? Or it's, there's 10 platforms all sending you notifications every second. Bling, 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 bling. How do you prioritize what's important? It's not, the phone's not that smart yet. I can't say, yo, Siri, Google Now, Alexa, just send me notifications only from, only from my mom on Facebook and then my uncle on Twitter and then my, um, my boss on text. Try doing that to your phone right now. That's how dumb that smartphone is. So from that perspective, who is protecting your time? Who's making sure that you are maximizing or are you just, a, you know? At the mercy. Are you a sheep providing data for companies to be more powerful? In the, with the illusion of convenience and enriching your life. It's an illusion. Your, your time is being snatched. Your mind is being snatched. And no one's really looking out for the best interest of you. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'm going to turn the notifications off and live my life like 2008, where Nokia's didn't do that. I got a text message, and when I got it, I, I either checked it myself. There has to be some balance in this world that's off balance. You're, you're setting your own barriers. Right now, because it's not smart enough. Yeah. And but... Far too many people are too addicted to set their own barriers. And there is also FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. And if you're a teenager and your friends are on every social medium and on every game, you don't want to be left out. And we're seeing this explosion of depression, anxiety, suicides. So... You care about all these things. I know that you've done so much to help young kids. What would you tell them? I would say what my uncle told me when I was 18. Because when we were 18, we had our version of this. It was video games. It was meaningless music. It was uh, drugs. It was crime. It just, the volume... And the vibration wasn't as vibrant and hot as it is now. But we had our version of that. And my uncle did a, he did awesome guidance. Because I didn't have a dad. So my uncle, my uncle daddy is what I call him. Because um, his name is Donnie. So my, I don't call him Uncle Donnie. I call him Uncle Dad. And he said, uh, you know, Willie, if you really want to do music, you have to be willing to carry everybody. And to do that, you have to focus a little harder. You have to discipline yourself just a little bit harder than the rest of your friends. Depends on how much you want it. So I would say the same thing to the kids. Yes, you have your distractions. What is it you want to do? And how bad do you want it? And if you want it that bad, you have to focus just a little harder. Mm -hmm. You have to discipline yourself just a little bit more than your friends. 
and then challenge your friends to discipline themselves. Right? You can't tell them what to do. You just got to show them how to do. Right? Because we every every generation has their distraction. It's just this this generation. Whoa! But every generation says that. Like my grandma probably said, "What are these kids doing out there in them streets, listening to that music and sagging them pants?" Boy, you, girl, you better get that boy. Teach him how to teach him how to make sense of himself out there acting a fool. Just imagine what my grandma was telling my mom about me when I was eighteen. What these kids listening to? That rap crap. What they saying about these women? Back in my day, we sung the song they sung was nice songs about love. They just talk about sex. <laughs> but what that boy listening to? Walking around here with them baggy pants on. Those are brand new pants. This ain't, this ain't hand-me-downs. Pick them pants. Put the belt on that boy. Like imagine what my grandma was saying. Playing them video games all day. Getting D's and F's on that report card. Ain't nobody paying attention to nothing. Out there in them streets. Doing graffiti on that wall. That ain't that boy's property. What are you doing writing on that wall for? Well, you better beat some sense into that boy. Care what about that news say? We used to beat you. Right? Now the news trying to tell you how to raise your kids. Think about what my grandma was saying to my mom at the time when like, you know, child abuse reports were happening in 1980, 90. And then it turns out we got some badass kids nowadays because the government is raising the kids. Now, every, every kid's not the same kid. Every neighborhood's not the same. So why are they raising rich kids in the same environment for poor kids? Right? So where we come from, my grandma, you know, used to whip my mom, discipline and spank her. Now you walk down the freaking aisles in the freaking supermarket and the kid's like, come here, Michael. No! If I said that when I was a little kid, my mom would be like, Boy, get your butt. Tell it no to me. I'm the mama. And the reason why my mom did that is because my grandma was like, you ain't going to discipline them. Now you have a generation where the grandma and the mom's like, well, you can't do that. Then you got a badass kid. But also now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this shit is crazy right now. And I'm not saying you should discipline a kid, but you should discipline a kid. And, and, and what that discipline is, is the question. Because right now, in 2000 and right now, there is no discipline. Yeah, but there, there are many kinds of discipline. It doesn't have to be hitting the kid. There's a lot of discipline that has to do with expectations, a lot of discipline. For example, if we stay with technology, phone hygiene, teaching the kid that the phone does not sleep with you, that the phone sleeps in another room, recharges in another room. We've even launched a charging station that looks like a little phone bed, and you put your phones in, and you have a little blankie, and you tuck them in, and then you recharge. And we talked earlier about sleep. It's very hard to really recharge if you have your phone beside you and you attempted to play games or text your friends or snap your friends. Or scroll. Or scroll. I think the scrolling, the, the aimless scroll, looking for... Stimulation. Just scrolling. Like, I've, I've sat and watched... Hey, do me a favor. After you watch this on your phone, <laughs> put the phone down and then watch people on their phone. But don't watch it judging. Just watch like, wow, do I behave like that too? Just the scrolling, the aimless scrolling. And then next thing you know, 15 minutes pass. 
that precious 15 minutes, you could have like dreamt something awesome to freaking prepare for the time when you're 60 or prepare for the time when you're 70 or prepare for the time that you're 40. There's so much stuff. 15 minutes could go a long way if you use 15 minutes correctly. So as you think, I'm just on here 15 minutes doing nothing. But if you check all the accumulated 15 minutes for that week, that was a freaking or the month. That was a freaking day of aimless scrolling. If you calculate all your aimless scrolling that you give to these platforms, you're in the only one not benefiting from it. Now why would you, when you get that information, just aimlessly scroll? And if you're going to scroll, make sure you're scrolling to things to control your tomorrow. Scroll and look and search for things for building blocks to get you to where you want to go. I would, I, would, I would use your phone for, it's a tool, use it that way. Right now, the equivalent is people walking around with a hammer, just waving it. <laughs> no nails, no wood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just got the hammer. You know what I mean? Can't touch this. Anyways, got to go. <laughs> <laughs> how, how hard has that been for you? How hard has it been for you to discipline yourself when it comes to your phone? I've gotten worse. I was a lot better. It's gotten harder and harder. And why is that, do you think? Because it became my escape when I, have, when I don't know the problem or I'm too afraid to execute the solution to the problem. I know the answer, and it's obvious. And, but darn it, I don't know. I really don't know how to press go. So I just zone out, and it becomes a different type of it's a different crutch for a, a portion of my life that's crippled. And it's, it's my vice, as it is everyone's. The problem is, what are you running from? And why are you running to that? When conversation goes a long way, sitting down and talking to loved ones around, you know, maybe it's a hard thing, and just opening up and letting go being transparent and candid what's going on. I think people lost the ability to be candid about what's going on in their Mm -hmm. mind. So they zone out on the phone looking for anything that stimulates something that they've lost the ability to be just say what's on their mind. And so they comment as a, a coping mechanism, but really that's something inside of them. Or maybe I'm just speaking for me. I think you're speaking for everybody. And you're speaking for everybody when you said that we need an on and off switch in the form of a technology that is looking out for me. Because right now, technology is not looking out for us. No, that's why I think something's coming. Like, imagine it's 1978. Big companies like IBM have computers, mainframe computers. But computers were not for people. At that point in time, 1978. And Steve Jobs is like, yo, there's something coming where people will have computers too. And IBM were like, what do people need computers for? Are you crazy? And 1988 came and, you know, my school was one of those schools that got computers. Around 1980, in the 80s. And then 1998 came around and it's like something was coming. It's not just in the house, computers. Something's coming. It's this internet, 1998. 
And everyone thought Y2K and the internet was doomed, but no, no, it's not. Nope, nope. That was that wasn't the internet that they were talking about. The actual internet that changed everything was the one that came in 2008. Tenure leap. 2008. It's the mobile one. The internet you take everywhere, mm-hmm. not the one that's just in the house. So remember in like 1988, it's like dot com bubble. Oh my gosh, Y2K bug. Oh, the world's gonna end. What happens when when it switches over? All the planes are just gonna fall out the sky. Get the water. Like the <laughs> remember the fear that everybody had for Y two K. Like oh my gosh, right when the clock strikes, you know, and it switches over to two thousand, everything's gonna be haywire, right? And everyone was anticipating this internet, but it never came in two thousand. It came in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. The one you took everywhere. It's in your pocket. It's calculating everything. And something else is coming now again. So preach, brother. What's coming? I think what's coming, I, my gut, my intuition is an internet, an intelligence that is looking out for me, not a company. Looking out for you, not the government. Mm-hmm. It's looking out for her, you know, not a corporation. And something that's going to be available to all of us. Yeah, it's going to be available to everybody. Unfortunately, it also brings other problems because the concept of money in the history of humanity is pretty short. Like credit, dollars, like bar- trading was not always like, hey, uh, let me get that, um, let me get that gold, and uh, how much is that going to cost? Well, let me get this paper. Think of that; that makes no sense though. Yo, yo, uh, I need like four gold bars. How much is that going to cost? Hold on, let me give you, uh, wait, hold on. Let me, you said what, what, $2 million? Hold on, let me give you 2 million pieces of paper for those two gold bars. If you think about that type of trading, it makes no sense that something with no value can buy you something with perceived value. If I got a million dollars and ripped up a million dollars in pieces, it didn't rip up the value of a million dollars because the paper is not, it's the collective belief in what a million dollars is that makes a million dollars a million dollars. And that's a pretty new concept because before it was like, Hey, I'll trade you my goat for the eggs. You need some eggs, right? You need this goat, right? But the king and queen couldn't tax. How can they, how the F you going to tax me trading you my freaking camel for the horse. Hey, look, homie, look, I got this camel. <laughs> I trade you this camel for that stallion. Now, how in the fuck is the king and queen going to be like, yo, I need to get a piece of that? Like, how are you what? What you want, the hoof? Right? <laughs> what you want, the freaking, how you go? So then here comes the money. I'll put my face on it. And the land that you on, you don't own. This is my kingdom. And the math to build the houses, I own that math. Me and my freaking builders, these lords, these, these uh, dukes, and my uh, master Masonic builders, we have the information how to build basilicas and domes and houses and churches. And you don't own the land, but you can have access to it. And when you trade, I'm going to tax you on that. The same thing is happening right now with data. Yeah, yeah, you don't own your data. I got it. Because that's the new currency. Mm-hmm. The new kingdoms are data monarchies. 
And what's around the corner is data democracy. We are going to see Data Independence Day in the next 10 years. And there's going to be something that has to like, you know, who, if I'm going to have access and be powered by my data, I have to have a data scientist. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's probably going to be some AI. That's mine though. And then I'm going to be empowered by my data and all the other data doppelgangers that are synonymous with me. That's going to be the new communities. And those communities are going to be powerful. But in that day, there's going to be new rich and poor. It's whose AI is smarter than the others. It's like I live in a nice neighborhood. Somebody doesn't. I came from a, ni- a bad neighborhood. Now I live in a nice neighborhood. There's going to be people that are like, yo, my AI is pretty dumb. While someone else is more powerful, we have access to the same internet. But my AI is, has better filter systems and has better cross-domain ability and more cognitive than yours. But there's also something else that I think is even more powerful. And you alluded to it once when you said that for a long time, we've ignored our God-given technology, our spirituality, yeah, which is what fuels our hardware. So your AI may be smarter than my AI in the same way that you might have been living in a fancier neighborhood than I lived in. But ultimately, the biggest gift is going to be our humanity, our spirituality, yeah. that part of us that nobody can take away. Yeah, so that's so people are like, yo, well, you always say this AI stuff, like, you're not afraid of the Terminator? I was like, okay, okay, let's go down that, let's go down that path. The Terminator, if it was a company, somebody raised money for it. Now, they don't tell you that in the movie. They didn't go down to the details on like how the Terminator came to be. Somebody raised money for it, did some research and development, and it developed. But why did the Terminator become the Terminator? Is it, and it, why does it think humanity is messed up towards like extra? Was it like programmed to like go through the internet to find out that humans do some fucked up dumb shit on it? So if the Terminator was to happen, is it our fault? Because we do some dumb shit on the internet. So to keep the Terminator from happening, maybe we should change how we act. But, but let's, not, let's not go there. I'm using it as a metaphor. The Terminator also is one company. There is no other, like, machines. It's one company. There's, like, the advanced one and then the, you know, the old school one. But it's still one company. And that's what we're afraid of in the Terminator. We're afraid of one company controlling and dominating so much that humanity is at risk. But we're also afraid of artificial intelligence becoming more intelligent than we are. Nope, we're not afraid of that in Star Wars. In Star Wars, there's lots of androids. There's lots of robots. There's lots of AIs. There's different types of them. There's three CPOs and R2-D2s. And when you think of the scary parts of AI and artificial intelligence and robotics, everyone ignores Star Wars. They bring up Terminator because in Star Wars, there's something else that is more powerful than the AI. That's the center of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's the Jedi. That's the spiritual yes. human being that is fighting something more sinister. And that's not the AI. That's like this empire where really the AI and the robotics is a backstory. Right. But if there was no Jedi then the empire would have won. 
Yes. If it was just the empire versus AI, the empire wins. Yeah. So the, the Jedi, empire loses because of the Jedi. Yes. So that's so what I think. how do we cultivate the Jedi? Yes. So I that's what I think is coming. Is the spiritual awakening? Because now humanity is forced to perform. We've outperformed the lion. We've outperformed the bear. We've outperformed the eagle. We've outperformed the freaking whales. We see whales like, yo, I'm making submarines, son. We've seen eagles like, yo, I'm making a freaking airplane, son. We've seen the freaking like dragonfly, helicopters. Everything that we've seen in nature, humanity prevails and imagines and manifests. Now we have this other thing that we need to accomplish. And maybe my optimism is that AI is going to force us to become more spiritual in ways that religion limited us to, right? Religion is amazing. I grew up, and I'm still Christian, apostolic. But just think about all the crazy things that's happened and all the deaths and all the wars that religion had brought about. Like I said, I grew up baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, praying, super Christian. And here comes something because of the optimism and the hope that I believe, my intuition tells me that there's a spiritual awakening that's going to come to where it's a new age. Like, if you were around in the dark ages, you didn't know it was the dark ages. It took the second age to come, mm-hmm. the, 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 the next age to come and be like, yo, that shit was the dark ages. If you were around in the medieval times, you didn't know it was medieval. You know shit was crazy, but it took the next age to be like, yo, that was some medieval shit. So, like, I'm so happy I wasn't around then. <laughs> so here we are. 2000 right now, getting ready to walk into a new age, and we're going to look back and say, like, that was inhumane. That's an inhumane age. Look how they treated immigrants. Look at how immigrants treat immigrants. So, America, we are immigrants. Every single one of Mm -hmm. us. And how could immigrants treat immigrants in an inhumane way? I can't wait for the next era. But we are in this time of transition where we feel that we are moving to the new era, even though there's so much injustice and so much inhumanity, but something is stirring. You feel that? I feel, I mean, I know this sounds like, a, you know, the sentence is going to sound like a, a commercial for a film. Something is awakening. Like, I feel <laughs> something coming. Something, something awesome is about to freaking come. Yeah, it, it's going to be great. And while that something is being born, how do you manage to strengthen yourself, to take care of yourself? I know you recently went through a big diet change, for example, to make yourself uh, healthier and more resilient to deal with everything around us and with what's coming. So tell us about that. Yeah, so this time last year, I weighed 210 pounds. I wasn't sleeping right. Stress isn't the issue. I'm, I'm stressed now. Any Stress is school. If you're not stressed, you're not learning. It's when it becomes cumulative and leads to high blood pressure, et cetera. Yeah. That's so my problem. stress last year was different stress. It was like nutritional laziness. You were eating junk. I was eating bad, sleeping bad, no regimen, just no order. And I was creating like different types of disorders. And starting with my high blood pressure and my cholesterol, I, I caught it at the right time. I had acid reflux, 
nasal drip, like stuff. I was always, <clears throat> I was always doing that. And for some people, they're like, well, I don't really understand what's the big deal of why were you complaining about that? Like <clears throat> always clearing your throat to get rid of acid is a cancerous environment. Mm-hmm. Like when you have so much acid in you, that means your body is fighting off inflammation and mucus. And that is like a, a toxic environment that leads to other diseases. So I had to, I, I caught it at the right time. I went to my doctor and he said, hey, your high blood pressure is like you're 60. And your cholesterol is, and, and it, with a family that you have where, you know, heart heart um, disease and diabetes runs in your family, I, you should take control of that. So I, I switched my... Uh, my regiment went plant-based and uh, it changed my life. I lost 20 pounds. Um, my cholesterol came down. My high blood pressure came down. My stress levels came down naturally. Um, I have more energy. I, my sleep regimen is, is awesome. I go to sleep around 12, 11. To some people, you're like, okay, well, I am. That sounds normal. I was going to sleep like around <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. One time, me and Ariana Huffington, we were talking, and she was like, "How is your sleep?" I'm like, <laughs> "Which time? I got like four hours of sleep every day. Four hours? Will that is not good." I'm like, "Yo, not good? What are you talking about? I, I came from the gutter, now I'm on the top. Four hours—that's all I need." So I was really like, try, I, w- "I would argue with people like all I need is like two hours a day, like boom, a cat nap and a cat nap, and I'm just ready to go." But that is a pretty good Ariana accent, don't you think, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I ch- it changed my life. It changed my life. And I, 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 would, I would encourage everybody to have a plant-based regimen. You don't need it. You don't need the meat. You don't need to have decaying flesh in your body. The more I think about it, I was like, ugh. I was just, I had death in me. And no junk Food, no processed food. Oh, yeah, yeah, processed food. That's like sugar, sugar, sugar. Decayed flesh and crazy chemicals I can't pronounce in mm-hmm. me. At that, you wouldn't put that shit in your car. And four hours sleep. Right? No, 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 no. Yeah. Unless you have a genetic mutation, about 1% of the population does. No, that's me, though. That's me. I'm, I'm, no. I'm, not, I'm not genetic mutation. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was an X-Men. I was a mutant. Boom, how about that? The fact is, what I'm saying is, like, you, like we live our life, like, wanting to get, like, yo, I can't wait to get that Mercedes. And you, like, you go, you pull up to the gas station, yo, premium gas, son. Yeah, premium gas. Only premium gas. You know, it's a Mercedes, uh, $100,000 $100, for this car. You know what I'm saying? I need that fine gas up in it. You know what I'm saying? Yo, give me oil change, too. Best oil. Best oil. We treat our cars like, what? And then, like, you be like, yo, let me get some chips. And let me get some, uh, let me get some of that, uh, you know. Let me get that candy bar and some, uh, let me get that fizzy pop. You put the fucking worst shit in your body, but you take care of your car. Freaking awesome. You'd be like, yo, yo, I got me, I got me that new dog. You know what I'm saying? I got me that new dog. I get my dog the best food, best food, best food. You know what I'm saying? I'm about animal protection. You know what I'm saying? I don't want no leather. You treat your animal great, but then like, you know, yeah, let me get that, uh, let me get that, uh, double size, double, double. And, uh, also let me get that, uh, let me get that fizzy pop. And we, we put junk in our body, like, make no sense. I'm like, yo, I'm going to flip it up. I'm going to take care of my body, like, what, what would a Jedi do? Because mm-hmm. in the movies, I never see a Jedi eat, by the way. I never see the motherfuckers eat. But I'm pretty sure they eat. <laughs> 
but I never seen Luke Skywalker snack on anything. But if they're eating, they're not eating junk. Yeah, you can assume eating, that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if I, if I saw Last Supper of Jedi's, they're eating plants. <laughs> they're, right? I'm, I'm just, it's probably the Jedi code. <laughs> so I don't want this to end because it's been absolutely amazing. But it has to end for now. So let me end with something you said that I absolutely love. That you have a shorthand with your friends. Can we start using that shorthand? Which is asking each other, is your antenna up and are you connected? So what does that mean and why do I love it so much? Yeah, so in 2008, 10 years ago, was magical. A lot of things happened. I did Yes We Can for Obama. Then I met Bill Clinton and he says, I see your antenna's up. Why would he say that? My antenna's up. That's a, that's, that was our, that was that was the the length of our conversation. Nice to meet you. Congratulations. <laughs> I see your antennas up. So, a year passed. Then I saw him at um, CGI, and then he. I said, President Clinton, you when we met, you said my antennas up. What what did you mean by that? I've been thinking about that the whole time. He was like, Well, you tapped into something. In order to tap into that multiple times, whether you're making a song that's successful around the world or you've made a piece of content that moves the needle, your antenna. I was like, well, I knew you were thinking because I, I, me and my friends say that all the time. Like, my antenna's up. Yo, let's get in the studio. Let's put our antennas up and connect. That is what we... So when he told me that, one, I didn't have that much time to have go in deep depth and dialogue with President Clinton. But I said, when I see him again, I want to ask, like, what did he mean by that? Does he mean it from the same perspective of what me and my friends mean? it? Like, so antenna up is like you have this radio. And to get service, you have an antenna. And that antenna connects to whatever frequency that's giving you the information that you're dialed into. No different than your cell phone that you're on. If you put metal on it, the antenna and connectivity is going to diminish and you can't call your mom. Wi-Fi is an antenna. It's some type of sensor that's connecting you to some tower that's pinging nearby. Or if you have LTE, that's some signal that's pinging some towers that's hitting some satellite to be able for you to send a call. Then you have your spiritual antenna. Mm -hmm. And we are all spiritual beings. And if you want to, you know, tap into the zeitgeist, like the ghost of time and how everyone's feeling emotionally, you can actually put your antenna up and connect. You don't necessarily need a phone, by the way. Right? Prayer is that. Meditation's that. Water is that. It's, if you break it down, it's one of the reasons why priests and preachers pray over water and then baptize you in water. To flush out the toxins by drinking water, meditating in prayer will affect your vibration to attract and have your antenna up to connect. No matter if it's, you know, holy water, baptismal water, or perspiration H to make sure your water and the frequencies, isn't it crazy? Like if you're super stressed out, you could have took a bath. And then if you're stressed out, like your water smells because it's distorted. Water is like a mechanism to, that stores thought. It's like, you no, know, there's documentaries on like, you know, by writing love on water, how it changes the molecules, the structure of the water, 
or wh- how hate, when you put a magnifying glass, when you write hate on water, how it crystallizes differently. And part of that connecting is aligning your frequency and then connecting to other frequencies. Yeah, so antenna up. We do that, me and my crew. And Mr. Wright, thank you so much for being that seed that um, sprouted us to want to go deep and find reason into things. Yeah, it all started sixth grade going to Brentwood Science Magnet. And on behalf of millions of us, Mr. Wright, thank you so much for helping Will find his antenna and keep it up year after year after year. And uh, the best is yet to come. I profoundly believe that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being my friend through all these years. Thank you. It's an honor. You are, you're a superwoman. Your sister is amazing too. Like an agape, the Greek <laughs> word for love. Yeah, she is awesome. Like you guys are. All the time I see you guys are smiling, so willing to share perspective and help guide and connect with all the right intentions of, you know, harmony and collaboration and just living an awesome life. Like you guys are. You know, you're rare. And hopefully, it isn't rare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hopefully, you, we together inspire more, not only super women, um, but super men. Because I think the reason why we don't have super women in society is the encouraging and the perpetual, like, distortion of feminism and disregard of our entry to life, you know, I, my mom is super, and I want to see other people like Deborah Kane and Ariana Huffington's. And uh, you've surrounded yourself with some amazing women, including Lindsay, who runs uh, your Will incredible I. company, We Lie. And I got this pair of glasses, which I absolutely love. They're green and awesome. And uh, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for empowering so many people to live their best lives. And to everybody listening, be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio on your favorite podcast app. And stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio for updates on new episodes. And in the meantime, go to thriveglobal.com for tips to start thriving today and keep your antenna up. And also, thank you to our sponsor, Sleep Number. If you are not sleeping well, it could be your mattress. The Sleep Number bed knows, senses, and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably. This is not a bed, it's proven quality sleep. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive.